Yeah, good morning, everyone. Like Evan said, my name is Scott. I'm one of the leaders here at Park Hill. My wife, Bella, and I uh, are really excited. We've been alongside the elders and the leadership team just praying and dreaming about what it will look like to eventually go out and plant a church sometime in the future. So we are very excited for that to just be clarified and to share that with you guys in the future. But today marks the last teaching in our sermon series called Receive the Holy Spirit. And I think that this is one of those teaching series that whether you've been with Park Hill for years since we started or you've just been coming in through this series, I think that this series is going to have huge and lasting implications just on our church as a whole. I mean, we've talked about so much already throughout this whole series. We've looked at who the Holy Spirit is, what does he do? We've looked at how the Holy Spirit gives us a new identity and is even with us and encouraging us and pulling us along when we question and doubt our identity. We've seen how the Holy Spirit empowers us through gifts of the Spirit, tongues and prophecy, and even just empowering our actions to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And so with all that being covered, it can kind of feel like what else is there to be talked about with the Holy Spirit. But I think that's the beautiful thing about God, the Holy Spirit. He's just this endless well you can keep pulling from. And that leads me to what I want to talk about this morning. If you remember back in April when we started this series, we decided that the, the best place to have a conversation about the Holy Spirit was to start on page one in Genesis 1, the Bible. And I think that to end a series on the Holy Spirit, it's only appropriate that we go to the last page of the Bible in Revelation 22. We're literally, we literally have bookends for this series. Uh, so if you want to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 12. So after this wild ride that you will experience reading through the book of Revelation, which we are going to do later in the fall, we start seeing John's experiencing, the author John, he's experiencing all these images, he's seen the throne room of God. He sees images of martyrs and serpents. And at the high end of this story, we see John's depicting a new heavens and a new earth being created. This is the high point of the story. All things are being made new, and the church in Christ are being united in this divine marriage. So at the end, we're reading this starting in verse 12. It says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city." Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Amen. The Spirit and the bride say, come. John is giving us an invitation, but an invitation to what? What are the Spirit and the bride 
inviting us into as a church. And in the scriptures, the word to come is used all over as an invitation into something. In the Gospel of John, right at the beginning, we see Jesus, he's stepping on the scene and everybody's asking about this man out of Nazareth. And we see that uh, Philip, one of the first disciples, he goes and finds Nathanael and he says this in John chapter one. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And not only is this an invitation for, from Philip to Nathanael to come and see, this is John's way of saying, come and see to you and I. It's an invitation for the reader to come and see if Jesus is truly is as good as the church has claimed him to be. And Jesus himself, he even uses this phrase. In Matthew 11, he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he uses this phrase again in John 6 when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All of these are invitations to enter into life with Jesus, to turn from our selfishness and our pride and accept Jesus' invitation to come, repent, and be made new through the Holy Spirit. So when we read in Revelation that the Spirit and the bride say come, he's saying that at the end of this story, we can read this as John saying to 21st century San Diegans, he's basically saying this, when it feels like the world is burning, Conspiracy theories are rampant. Wars are breaking out and diseases are plaguing our world. When all you long for is Jesus to return and make all things new, the call for you is to come and live life in the Spirit. And we're going to go over this much more when we actually get into the book of Revelation later this fall. But just as the leadership and I were praying about how do we wrap up this Holy Spirit series, we believe that the invitation is for us to practically participate in what Christians have called for centuries the life of the Spirit or the divine life. But what does it mean to actually participate in the life of the Spirit? I see the life in the Spirit being comprised of three distinct lives that need to come together uh, to be fully integrated, to live out a fully integrated life in the Spirit. So the first life is the charismatic life. This is the life of spiritual gifts or the things that the Spirit does. And we've talked about this earlier in the series. This is tongues and prophecy and healing and singing and praising and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things for the kingdom. And then the second is the contemplative life. This is the life of the mind and prayer. We talked about this when we went over doubt and deconstruction and the Spirit's role in that, but it's also about defining who the Holy Spirit is because our theology, what we think about God and our prayer life are vital to our life with God. And then the third and final one is the disciplined life. 
So this is the life of habits and practices infused with the presence of the Holy Spirit that change us over time. This is why they are called spiritual disciplines. But it's funny because I think for many Christians, and, and even including myself, we, we don't think of discipline as being deeply connected to the work of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Like, I used to think of this more as, like, we do these things to be good Christians, and that's the reason for doing these things. But that couldn't be further from the truth, because as we read earlier in Matthew, Jesus invites us to participate in the divine life. Being born again and renewed by the Spirit through repentance leads us to obeying Jesus as an act of love. And it's why Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. He's here to guide us, to pull us deeper into union with Christ. And it's through the disciplined life that we are able to grow and mature in our faith and in our walk with the Holy Spirit. And a group of people who I think really understand the disciplined life well and have a lot to teach us are athletes, competitive athletes. They may not all have the fully integrated life down, but when it comes to their sport, they really understand the disciplined life. And I don't know how many of you were aware of this, but just before COVID-19 hit, we were most likely all alive during what was probably the greatest physical feat that a human has ever done. His name's Elliot Kipchoge, and on October 12th, 2019, he was the first human to run a marathon in under two hours. His time of one hour, 59 minutes, and 40, 40 seconds was something scientists didn't think was going to happen for like another 20 years if it was even possible. So to put this into perspective, think about when you were in like middle school or high school and you had to run the mile for PE, which is just the worst experience because they make you wear those baggy clothes, you get so sweaty, and then you have to go to math after. But just think about the time that you ran, like when, even if you weren't in PE, but just like the time you're like, I'm gonna run a mile as hard as I can, your fastest mile time. Have that in your mind. His average pace per mile was four minutes and 34 seconds, and he did it 26 times in a row. Now, to get an even better picture of this for our American minds that will measure with anything but the metric system, it's like he was running 13 miles an hour over 385 football fields. It's absolutely insane. And not only as one of the greatest athletes ever to live, but as a faithful Christian, the New York Times dubbed Kipchoge the philosopher king of running, just because of his wisdom and the way he spoke about the world. And in an address to students at Oxford University, he says this about the disciplined life. He says, only the disciplined ones are free in life. If you are undisciplined, you are a slave to your emotions. You are a slave to your passions. I just love that. This young boy 
growing up under a single mother in the Rift Valley in Kenya, a place where many in the Western world have said, can anything good come from there? He grows up and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he dedicates himself to the disciplined life and he frees humanity from this self-imposed idea that we are physically limited to a two-hour marathon. Only the disciplined ones are free in life. Or maybe to make it sound a little bit more like how Jesus of Nazareth would maybe say it, I'd put it this way. Blessed are the disciplined ones, for they will be truly free. And I've honestly been learning this very thing that, that Kipchoge talks about, and the Holy Spirit has been convicting me of this throughout this week. So my wife, Bella, she's Italian, Bella. Like, so Italian that it's not short for Isabella, it's just Bella. And I think the name fits. She was born in America, uh, but my father-in-law, he moved here from Sicily. And he would want me to make it very clear, he moved from Sicily and not Italy. You all must know that, it's important. And then Bella's mom, her family's from just outside of Rome. So all of Bella's extended family, they either live in Italy or they're all fluent in Italian. And so me, to be the best husband I could possibly be, I was like, I'm going to become fluent in Italian. This is important for our family. So I downloaded Duolingo, and I told Bella, I was like, you need to talk to me in only Italian when we're at home, like all the time. And it only took just a couple of weeks for me to stop doing the Duolingo lessons and get those emails where they're like, we miss you. Um, <laughs> and to just not be caring as much at all. And I just fell off. And but only about eight months into us being married, Bella's parents came to stay with us for a couple of weeks. And I could feel that chasm of like my understanding of Italian, which is like ciao. Um, and then Bella and her parents' understanding of, of Italian. It was a huge gap. And I think for many of us, we can feel that in our discipleship to Jesus when we meet in our around people who are incredibly mature, who are just full of the Spirit and incredibly disciplined. We just look at those people and we say, like, I want my life to be like his. I want my relationship to Jesus to be like hers. And there's many reasons why we may not be where we want to be in our relationship to Jesus. But if you're like me, I think one of the biggest areas that we can grow in our discipleship to Jesus is the disciplined life. Because we can read as many theology books as we want. We can speak in tongues. We can prophesy on Sunday gatherings, just have an amazing time. But if we do not enter into the daily habits with the Holy Spirit, then we will continue to be frustrated with an anemic form of Christianity. Like with learning Italian, I could just pray before each time I meet with Bella's dad and talk on the phone with her family, and I could just ask the Holy Spirit, like, please give me a tongue. Like, would you allow me to speak Italian just for this one moment? And it might work. Who knows? That is actually a real thing that happens. In Acts 2, we literally see it for the first time that the, that the church is filled with the Spirit, and they speak in other languages that they don't know the good news of Jesus. And it still happens today. You can just ask missionaries that go to other countries. They've seen this happen where they don't know the language and they preach the gospel to people of a different language and they understand it clearly. It could totally happen. But I would have to do that 
every single time that I meet with Bella's dad or talk with Bella's mom on the phone. And that just doesn't make sense. It can't happen. Because I know that the kind of person, I want to be the kind of person who can talk to my father-in-law in his native language. And if I want to be that kind of person, then I need to spend, I mean, at the least 10 minutes every single day listening to my Italian for Beginners podcast and learning new words and putting the work in to actually know the language. And similarly, if we want to be the kind of people who are mature in Christ, who know the Holy Spirit as a friend, and who show the people around them the character of Jesus by how they live their life, then we need to spend time every single day in conscious awareness to the Holy Spirit and doing the things that Jesus did. Because Jesus even said that we will prove to him that we know him, that we are his friends if we follow his commands. My discipline to learn Italian is a discipline of love toward Bella and her family. My commitment to spend every single morning in the presence of Jesus is a discipline of love to my friend and my savior. And so this makes us ask the question then, what are the disciplines that will help me grow to be this kind of disciple, to be this kind of person? While there are many, at Park Hill, we have three primary ways that we enter into the discipline life. The first is communion, which is receiving Christ on a weekly basis. So if you haven't noticed, we take communion every single week here at Park Hill. If you've been around for longer than a week, you probably have picked up on that, that we do communion every single week. Our gatherings, they hit their high point when we come to the table to receive the body and blood of Jesus. A group of theologians called the Eucharist, or communion, the source and summit of the Christian life. And while it, sometimes it might feel just like a mundane act, week in and week out, this is the moment where we are actually brought into unity with Christ at the most intimate level. And it's one of the reasons why we don't rebaptize people here at Park Hill. Because at Park Hill, we say baptism is like the wedding ceremony. And if that's true, then communion can kind of be seen like the consummation of a marriage. That might feel like a weird image, but that is the image. So if you haven't taken the step to commit your life to Jesus through being baptized, I strongly encourage you to next week sign up to be baptized on Sunday and enter into the waters, follow Jesus in faithfulness into the waters of baptism and join this family. But if you've already been baptized, if you feel like you are coming into just a deeper understanding of who Jesus is or a stronger awareness of his presence, or maybe you felt like I'm, I've been moving away from Jesus, coming to, I just need to come back. Like, I just want to come back to Jesus. Coming to the table and receiving the body and blood of Jesus is the way you recommit your life to him. Just like in a healthy marriage, coming back together physically is important for a marriage to thrive. And the marriage between Christ and his church needs to have us come together with Jesus week in and week out through the body and blood. 
But the beautiful thing in the church is that this act of receiving communion is not exclusive to married couples. Just like our text says this morning, let the one who wishes take the free gift of life. It's open. The single, the celibate, the married, the rich, the poor, the abled, the disabled, straight, gay, etc., all are welcome to the table to confess their sin and receive Christ through the bread and the cup. The primary means of uniting with Jesus at this church, which we're going to come to in a little bit, is radically inclusive. And as we keep this discipline of eating and drinking together as a family, we will be changed over time as we continue to unite ourselves to Christ. And I know there's a lot left out about communion, many questions about that. There could be a sermon series that we could dedicate just to that. But this is one of the primary ways that we discipline ourselves in the spirit. And then the second uh, rhythm that we use to enter into the life of discipline is community. This is the primary means of discipleship at Park Hill. When people in the church talk about discipleship, without even knowing it, they're talking about the disciplined life. We should see these things as synonymous, as discipleship. For Park Hill, we believe that the disciplined life, it can't happen solely on our own. It takes inviting a group of people into your life as you are in the process of growing in the things of the Spirit. And it's just incredible how much you grow and mature when you invite a group of people into your life. People who are in different stages of life and people who just come from different experiences of life. When they enter into your life, you get changed. And one of the biggest instruments of growth for me in my discipleship to Jesus is my community group. We have teenagers, young adults, kids, married couples speaking into my life, and it has taught me so much. I've learned from the married couples who are further along in life than me, but I've also learned so much from the people in my community group that are younger than me. They've all walked with me through my toughest times that I've been through, and I've been able to support them in theirs. And this is because when you are in a Park Hill community, you commit yourself to specific practices together as a community, and that's what changes you. And if you wanna know what those specific practices are, I would encourage you to sign up for the Community Basics that's going to happen on August 22nd. So a little plug there for community groups. But if you, if you seriously are wanting to move forward in your relationship with Jesus, you want to enter into the next phase, go deeper into the things of the Spirit, I encourage you to go back to the Connect Desk, like we said before at the end of the gathering, and sign up for the Community Basics so you can actually get plugged in to a community that's going to push you further into the things of the Spirit. And then the third and final way that we live out the disciplined life at Park Hill is through Seek First Sunday. This is growing in the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm not going to spend too much time going over the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and prayer and prophecy work. Uh, I just encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast throughout this series on each uh, sermon that we've done on these topics. But living into the gifts and the things of the Spirit are not to be experienced outside of the disciplined life. 
We often think of the things of the Spirit. If it's truly the Spirit, it's just spontaneous. I have no control over it. The Spirit just came over me, and I don't know what happened. And while that's true sometimes, for us to grow in these things, they need to become a regular part of our lives. And so every first Sunday of each month, we set aside an evening to explore the gifts of the Spirit and to lean into His presence as a community. So if this is an area that, that you feel like maybe this is the thing that I need to grow in, these Sunday evenings are a safe place to do that. Because I know many churches uh, that I've experienced that were very hesitant around the topic of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, how he manifests himself through his people. And so they just wouldn't really talk about it and they wouldn't create space for people to experience that. And so the people who decided, like, we want more of this would end up going to just whatever charismatic gathering that they could find because, like, we want more of this. And often it just wasn't connected to any kind of church. It was just a gathering. And it made me so sad to see people saying that my church, my local church, doesn't have a place for the Holy Spirit. And so we are incredibly lucky at Park Hill to have an elder team that has dedicated space and time for us to safely and confidently and boldly enter into the things of the Spirit. So I would encourage you to come to seek for Sundays if you want to step into the things of the Spirit just a little bit more. These are the three primary ways that we live out the disciplined life at Park Hill. We believe that a long obedience to these primary rhythms will shape us more and more into the image of Christ. And I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying adopt these three rhythms and your life is going to get a lot better. I am in through. This is adopting rhythms, practices, and habits that will over time and through repetition shape you into a person that looks more like Jesus. It's probably not going to look like you getting up, leaving your job, and joining a monastery and living that monastic lifestyle. It could. That could possibly happen. For a lot of people, it's going to look like your everyday life being animated by the Holy Spirit. The Bishop of L.A., Robert Barron, he talks about life in the Spirit this way. He says, filled with God's Spirit, architecture, art, science, politics, etc., become more completely themselves and realize their own deepest purposes. God gives our very capacity to give, and then he gives further by transfiguring our gift to our greater benefit. So as we commit ourselves to the disciplined life, We are going to open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us through the mundane acts of life. So as we get ready to come to the table, and as we get ready to end this series on receiving the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you all in participating in the life of the Spirit. The disciplined life can feel very daunting. I know how it feels to try to add more and more practices to your daily life to become more disciplined. But there's this ancient uh, Chinese proverb that actually helped me kind of understand and get a grasp on, on what it's like to add discipline into your life. And it says this, the best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. The second best time is today. Jesus will one day return. 
he will make all things new. And so as the church, we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And just like it says in Revelation, we wash our robes by living the disciplined life and we prepare for the day when we can receive the gift of eternal life with God. We can all think about how it would have been better to start these spiritual disciplines 25 years ago, how it would have been better 10 years ago or even 10 months ago. That would have been the best time to start. But the second best time is to start today. Start small and start today. Would you guys stand and pray with me? Holy Spirit, together as a church, we receive you. We open ourselves to what you want to do in our lives. We open ourselves to the disciplines you want to bring into our lives. We know that we can't do this. We can't live the disciplined life without you. We need your presence. We need you to empower us, to move us toward the vision you have for this world, for this city. Come, Holy Spirit. We are ready to receive you. In Jesus' name, amen.